Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 23 and we are recording on Tuesday, April 5th. I'm Amanda Nelson and I'm here with Jen Northington and we are coming to you from Book Riot. Welcome. Hooray. La la la. It's April. Yeah, I don't know about this April. <laughs> you don't know, like just <laughs> like, as a month. We have we have a freeze warning, but also I'm having allergies, so like I just You get like don't the worst know. of every season. Basically, one day. yes. I'm sorry. <laughs> Last night it got so cold that when I was on my way home, I could see my breath and like 3 days ago I wasn't wearing a coat. I don't know what to do. I'm so sorry. It's pretty yeah, yeah, it's doing the same thing here. Um it was like 80 degrees and now it's 50. I'm wearing a very yeah. fuzzy sweater. It's a cool sweater though. It's from the store. It's um like one of the foreign covers of Catch 22. Oh I think yeah, it's I love Russian. this foreign cover one. I don't know what language this is but it's rad anyway uh so if you are new to this podcast this is a write-in recommendation show so if you have a book recommendation request for yourself or for your book club or for a gift or any other thing um you can email it to us at getbooktobookriot.com or you can drop it in the form at the bottom of every post that the show has on book riot um and we work hard to get to every question if it's time sensitive if your question is time sensitive um Please label it like that, because otherwise I might not see that you need an answer within, you know, the next four weeks or whatever, and I might get to it too late. So if it is time insensitive, let me know. And let's just jump right in, shall we? Let's do it. All right. Okay. It you. It me. The first question is from Sarah. I'm looking to expand my reading geographically speaking. I'd love some recommendations for books from South American authors in English translation. I like fiction, nonfiction, and graphic novels, but I am picky about the kind of fiction I like. I don't like surrealism, magical realism, most fantasy, or horror. Uh, I do like historical fiction, family novels, contemporary fiction, and what's described as literary fiction and women's fiction, though I hate both of those terms. Mm. I hear you, Sarah. (laughs) (laughs) And South American authors I have tried in the past and given up on include Gabriel Garcia Marquez, Isabel Allende, Borges, and Coelho. Can you help? All right. We can. Well, we'll help after... We read our first sponsor. Heyo, Heyo. Well first sponsor <laughs> is a book I'm pretty excited about, actually. It's called Rich and Pretty by Ruman Alam, and it comes out on June 7th. And if you like books about friendship or books about New York or books about, like, coming of post-coming-of-age life and or rich people problems, this book is for you. <laughs> um, it's about two friends, Sarah and Lauren, who have been friends for 20 years. They were friends through high school and college and first jobs, and now they're in their 30s, and their lives have become very different. Um, Sarah is planning her wedding, and she's an only child and, like, works at a charity. And Lauren is single and working in publishing and trying to deal with her parents being worried about her life choices, etc., etc. And they're at that point in their lives where each of them kind of looks at the other's life and is like, 
Hmm, that's an interesting choice. <laughs> Slash, oh man, I wish that could be what I'm doing right now. So the book is kind of about that tension between friends as they get older. What does it mean to still be a best friend 20 years after you first started hanging out together? Uh, what does friendship mean later in life when you have so many other commitments and choices to make? Uh, all of those interesting things. And the buzz has been really awesome. Um it's a debut novel, which is always interesting to me. So that is Rich and Pretty by Ramon Alam. It comes out in June, but you should mark your calendars. And uh, we'll put a link in the show notes for more information. Okay, so my first pick for South American fiction that is not magical realism is a new collection of the complete stories of Clarice Lispector that just came out last year from New Directions, and it is translated by Katrina Dodson. Uh, Clarice Lispector is a super famous Brazilian uh, author who was also a, um, oh, what's the word? Not foreign legion. She was like a diplomat's wife, so she did a lot of traveling, and she had a family, and all of that, and this collection of short stories follows her career from it includes all of the nine collections that were published in her lifetime so it's like 80 some odd stories in it and it's over 600 pages and it starts um chrono it's chronological so like the first stories that she published when she was like 19 and then follows her all the way up through you know getting married and having her kids and then getting older and then when she died and then eventually of course she died and her characters grow with her so when she was 19 she was writing about you know like young women discovering their sexual power and artistic abilities and then when she was in that stage of like getting married and having small children she wrote a lot about like the boredom that can come with being at home and caring for kids and what do you do with all this artistic stuff that you've got in your head when you've got to spend so much of your time, you know, raising your family and caring for your family. Um, and she writes a lot about, like, feeling conflicted in marriage and marriage is ending. And it's her story. They're not autobiographical, but you can follow the arc of her career as you follow the arc of her life, which is really interesting and kind of rare for female writers, I think, especially because um, they tend to, from societal pressure, like, take breaks when we have kids or um, are like caring for aging parents, which is a thing that women do more often than men. So it's a really excellent, not even snapshot, but like huge giant marathon painting of one really genius writer's uh, work. And I love it intensely. It's super feminist, way ahead of its time. She, there's one of my favorite short stories in the collection is about um, like cool girl feminism, which is a thing that I didn't really think about or know existed until I heard the monologue or read the monologue from Amy Dunn and Gone Girl. But Clarice Lispector was writing about cool girl feminism in like the 50s. So anyway, uh, it's awesome. She's an amazing writer. She does really, really cool things with language. She writes really fantastic sentences. She's super precise. Um, and the translation is great. So that's The Complete Stories by Clarice Lispector, and that is out of Brazil. I consulted a friend of mine who <laughs> has read a ton of South American and Central American authors. And so I haven't read either of these, but they come from a reliable source. So my first pick for you is Shantytown by Cesar Ira, uh, translated by Chris Matthews. Uh, Ira is an Argentinian author. And Shantytown is about a young man who is helping out the trash pick pickers of Buenos Aires's shantytowns, like the title. Um, and he unfortunately attracts the attention of a policeman who is trying to break into a drug ring that he thinks is operating 
inside of the slum. And he kind of doesn't care who he hurts in the process of getting to this drug ring that he's convinced exists. And so the book is about both, like, the policeman, but mostly the young man who has gotten pulled into this. Um, It's kind of, I mean, I don't know how straightforward it is because I haven't read it, but uh, the what I have read of Ira is very, like, kind of madcap, but also, I think Amanda said it earlier, like, very precise. Mm-hmm. Like, it's he is very specific about his characters, and you get, like, these very detailed portraits of people and places, um, so that sounds like it might appeal to you. So that is Shantytown by Cesar Ira. I like him a lot. Did you read Dinner? No, it's, but that was the other one I almost picked. It's great and so weird and has zombies, but sort of not really. I don't. I'm not, right. I mean, I won't go into it, but he's a great author, and you can't go wrong. Um, yeah, zombie weird thing. So my second pick is Bonsai by Alejandro Zambra, who is from Chile, and this is a novella, which I discovered through Melville House's Art of the Novella series. Which, if you have not checked out, please go look at it. They're beautiful uh, reprints of novellas, obviously. Um, and this book, it or tiny book, is so, I don't, man, it's great for people who love books. It's a love story. The two characters are students who um, fall in love, and the arc of their romance follows the arc of their love for literature. So every instance of their, um, like, relationship has something to do with a book, and the deterioration of their relationship also has things to do with books. Like at one point they start to um, act out Madame Bovary, but nobody wants to be the husband because who wants to be the husband in Madame Bovary? He's like (laughs) the lamest character who was ever lame. That's great. It's so great. Um, So they get, they have like a fight about that. And then um, they both, they want to reread Proust to each other because what's more romantic than rereading Proust with someone you love, except they're both lying and have neither of them have ever actually read Proust. So they're like separately dealing with their guilt of completely BSing to their like lover's face about this book that they've read when, when their entire relationship is built around books that they've read. Um, and so you see they're like separate but equal horror <laughs> at completely lying to each other. Um, so that's kind of funny. But it's only 84 pages. There's a kind of a mystery to it a little bit. And the writing is really awesome. And it's kind of innovative, weird, stylistically. Um, the woman eventually disappears. And so you are reading to find out what happens to her. So that is Bonsai by Alejandro Zambra. And it's only like 84 pages or 85 pages. And it's from Melville House. All right, my second pick is another Brazilian author. Uh, it's Hilda Hilst, and the book I picked for you is With My Dog Eyes, which was translated by Adam Morris. She is considered an avant-garde and also erotic writer. Hey-o. So, you know, be warned. <laughs> like, if that doesn't sound like something you're interesting, maybe give her a pass. But maybe it is. I think it's interesting. Um, I actually heard some of her poetry read by uh, from a di- like from a poetry collection, which you didn't say you liked, so I didn't put it in here. But anyway, it was really intense and amazing. Uh, so this book is about a university maths professor who is having a midlife breakdown. Uh, he uh, kind of doesn't know how to connect with his wife and his son anymore. He feels like his life is pointless and useless, and he just is like 
having trouble reconciling the world of math that he lives in his head versus the actual real world. And apparently this is a little bit based on Hilst's own father who was diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia. Um, and so she is, I think what she's doing in this book is trying to understand what it's like to slowly feel like you're losing your mind. Uh, but it ends on sort of a hopeful, nah, hopeful <laughs> like a like a not worst ever note I guess not worst ever note. not worst ever note <laughs> if that makes sense anyway <laughs> give it a whirl um and that is with my dog eyes by Hilda Hilst all right question two this is from Deb I love Book Riot and listen to all the podcasts. Well, thank you very much. So I run a Maine-centric book club. We focus on reading only books with a Maine connection, the state of Maine. Either the author lives here, the book is from a local press, or the subject focuses on our history, etc. We are a small group with a broad range of interests, so are open to your best suggestions of Maine-centered novels, authors, or publishers. And yes, we know we share the state with Stephen King. Ha ha ha. That was going to be my first. Before I finished reading the question, I was like, oh, <laughs> Stephen King! Oh, right. Probably obvious. Um, okay, so I'll go first. I'm, my first recommendation is actually a book that I'm in the middle of, so I'm really excited about this one. It's called The State We're In, Main Stories, and it's by Anne Beatty. And this is a collection of linked short stories, which is a thing that I love. I'm, like, obsessed with collections of linked short stories. I love when authors can do this really well. Um, and so it focused, like, not the main character, but the kind of central character is a girl named Jocelyn, who is a really, like, kind of not snooty, but disaffected, I guess, kind of teenager who is attending summer school and she lives with her aunt and uncle while she's attending summer school. And then the other, the stories, the first story is from her point of view and then you kind of rotate around the other characters who are around her in her life. Um, So she is really witty and snarky, which I absolutely love, this character, Jocelyn. Um, I love a witty and snarky teenager. That is my fave. Uh, and so the thing about these stories is that when I read the first one, if I, if the ma- if the subtitle wasn't Maine stories, I wouldn't have known that it's set in Maine. They're very um, of anywhere, of any place um, kind of a thing. And a lot of the characters, this isn't like uh, a book about Maine that makes you want to go there and eat summer blueberries and have lobster sort of a thing. This is like a lot of the people are in poverty and are trying to get out of Maine or hate it a lot. Um, and some people are there because of circumstances beyond their control. So I don't know. It's I, th- I think that would be a really interesting selection for for a book club that's focused on a, sp- a particular state, looking at maybe a, like a, not negative, but a real kind of perspective uh, of people who live there. So that's The State We're In, Main Stories by Ann Beatty. I love her. Yeah. She's so good. I haven't, I haven't read, read that one, but I've read her other coll- some of her other collections. This is my first one. I'm like halfway through and I'm really, really digging it. Ugh, they're so good. Um, okay, my first pick for you guys is a book I actually picked up in a bookstore in Maine on the local books shelf. Hey. So, hey. So it's The Summer Guest by Justin Cronin, who is perhaps better known as the author of The Passage, which is a sort of vampire apocalypse novel. This is not one of those. <laughs> this is a novel about a financial guru dude, Harry Wainwright, who is, like, old and, you know, going to his fishing camp in a a remote area of Maine. Um, And he... The book kind of goes back and forth in his life, and... um, 
connects with other people from his background. So uh, there's a guy, Jordan Patterson, who is guiding Harry on his fishing trip. There's the the fishing camp's owner, Joe Crosby, who is a Vietnam draft evader. Um, and then there's Joe's wife, Lucy, who, well, you find out there's maybe some connection there with Harry. Um, and then their daughter, Kate. And uh, so it goes back and forth in, you know, from the present to the past um, and is really all about sort of how a life evolves and also some things that maybe should not have evolved. Um, you know, like life happens. Mm-hmm. Um, and But it has a lot of, like, you know, atmosphere and scenery and all of that beautiful New England wildernessy stuff. So that is The Summer Guest by Justin Cronin. Okay, speaking of atmosphere and scenery, my second pick for you is Cider House Rules by John Irving, which is, of course, also a movie with, what's his name? Toby Maguire? Uh, yeah, yes. and Charlie Theron. Yes. Yes. Bang the gavel. So um, Cider House Rules takes place in the early 20th century, and the main character's name is Homer. He lives in an orphanage in a town called St. Clouds, and the orphanage is run by a doctor named Dr. Larch, who is the physician and director um, of the orphanage. And the orphanage is a little strange because he, Dr. Larch takes in unwanted children from women who are in trouble, but he also performs illegal abortions in the early 20th century in Maine. Obviously, this was illegal. Um, and so he's training Homer to be his assistant and to possibly take over running the orphanage after he retires because he's getting up in age. Um, and he also has, is like addicted to, I don't remember what he's addicted to, that, that thing that you inhale, chloroform uh, It's or like something? chloroform, yeah. yeah he, so he's addicted he's, to drugs, basically, and he's, he's getting up in age, and so he's looking to retire, and he wants Homer to replace him. And then when Homer gets old enough to realize that what he's assisting Dr. Larch in doing is abortions, he kind of has a little breakdown, refuses to do it anymore, and leaves. He leaves uh, the orphanage to go to work on an apple, work in an apple orchard owned and operated by this young, really glamorous couple that has come to the orphanage to have an abortion because the, the man uh, comes with his fiance and she's pregnant, so she comes to have an abortion. And Homer flees with them, falls in love with the woman, goes out into the big bad world, reali- you know, comes of age, basically. Um, and yeah, it's very Maine-y. There's a lot of, you know, it feels kind of Dickensian almost, like there's a lot of snow and cold and boys getting dirty outside and doing stuff, you know, getting into trouble. Um, but it's also really thoughtful. And of course, John Irving is an amazing writer. So the, the sentences are beautiful. Uh, and I don't now that I'm thinking about it, you probably already read this one because it is very famous. But whatever. It's awesome. The movie's great. The book is great. I love it a lot. So Cider House Rules by John Irving. Nice. <laughs> um, my second pick for you guys is called Cost by Roxana Robinson. I haven't read this one specifically, but I've heard her read and really enjoyed her reading. Uh, this one is about an art professor named Julia Lambert who settles into her main house for the summer um, and is planning to spend time dealing with her father and her mother, and her mother is descending into Alzheimer's, which is really upsetting. But then, you know, so she's got this plan for family time over the summer, and then it turns out that her son has spiraled into a heroin addiction. So she is trying to stage an intervention, get him help. She's kind of calling in all of her people um, in her summer home area. And it's a lot about how families do or do not deal with addiction, uh, different generations of families. And so it's not really like beautiful wilderness and fishing in Maine. It's more like people and their lives also set in Maine. Uh, so, so that is Cost by Roxana Robinson. 
And before we go to the next question, um, I just wanted to say, I cannot imagine that you have not already read this, but just in case, uh, J. Courtney Sullivan, who is a Book Riot favorite, has uh, her debut novel, or no, wait, Commencement was her debut. Maine was her second book. So she has a novel called Maine. Um, and it's all about, it follows four women who are family and, you know, have this tradition of vacationing in Maine together. And it's um, sort of three generations of women dealing with their own problems and like family secrets and uh, complicated relationships and all of that good stuff. I mean, I'm sure you've already read it, but just on the off mm-hmm. chance that you haven't, uh, that's Maine by J. Courtney Sullivan. Okay, next question. All right, this question is from Scott. In order to encourage reading in my friends' lives, we started a book club where we read short stories, essays, humor, and poetry while re- eating brunch. This is amazing. That sounds amazing. <laughs> I know. Good job, I'm Scott. so here for this. That's great. Uh, question goes on. Authors like Shel Silverstein and Chuck Klosterman have done pretty well. Do you have any recommendations for short, humorous essays, stories, and poetry collections we could add? All right, Mandy, you go first. Okay, so my first pick for you is... Uh, Maybe a little out of left field, but I love it so much. It's called People I Want to Punch in the Throat. And Best it's by, title. Yes, and it's by Jen Mann, and it's based on her blog, which is also called People I Want to Punch in the Throat. And so the conceit here is that she is a suburban working mother and wife, and she lives in, you know, a normal neighborhood in anywhere USA and is doing the thing. She's doing, like, the play dates with uh, other moms and, you know, PTA and all this kind of stuff that you do when you are living your life in middle America. Um, and she also has a rage problem <laughs> and um, really dislikes a lot of the stuff, the stuff that comes along with that sort of lifestyle, which I feel so intensely like I feel her feels here. I am also a suburban mother and have a lot of problems with some of the stuff that comes with uh, comes along with the lifestyle. So every essay is in a different group of people or situations or whatever that she wants to punch. And they're hilarious. The thing that the one that I um, most love, the one that led me to her blog is her essay about Elf on the Shelf. Are you familiar with Elf on the Shelf, Jen? Oh, my God. I can't even talk about Elf on the Shelf. It, they are the worst. I, I cannot. <laughs> I spent this Christmas with my nephews, who are, like, the oldest one is just recently six. Mm-hmm. Or is, is he turning six or seven? Anyway, it doesn't matter. They have Elf on the Shelf. And I was. it took them about half an hour to explain how it worked to me. <laughs> <laughs> I Look, if you Elf on the Shelf, that's rad. Like, you do that magic stuff with your kid. I cannot be bothered. And I also find it kind of creepy. Like, it feels very Orwellian to me to have a, a, a thing on your shelf that, like, reports back your behavior. I don't know. Anyway, I've read, I've obviously read too many dystopias, but she has this excellent <laughs> rant about Elf on the Shelf. She has a, she has great rants about this, like, Pinterest phase of people blinging out their washers and dryers. I don't know if you've seen this, but, like, People on Pinterest are... Is that real? It's that's super a, real. Like, decorating their washer dryers. Yes. I dream of owning a washer and a dryer. That is Much less, like, real. blinging one. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, there's an essay about going to a mom's night out that happened to be at, like, a gun range. That's really bizarre and strange and hilarious. Interesting. Um, so, anyway, I don't know, Scott, how suburban your book group is since you do your meetings when you're eating brunch, which leads me to believe you might be a little more um, sophisticated than than me. But uh, I love this collection of essays and also the blog. So it's People I Want to Punch in the Throat by Jen Mann. Oh, and she has another one that's just about stuff about Christmas that is equally hilarious because suburbanites overdo Christmas like, whoa. 
Anyway, now I'm done. We have talked about books over brunch. Like, when I was visiting your town. So, you know. Yeah, I brunch. I brunch. Don't, don't sell yourself short. <laughs> I can brunch. You're a lady who brunches. I, okay, I, anyway. I am a lady who brunches. I wear alternate <laughs> brunches. No, that's not real. I don't wear <laughs> All right, all right. So, my first pick for your book group is The Last Girlfriend on Earth by Simon Ridge, which is a short story collection, and... I think you will enjoy it. Um, One of the stories is told from the viewpoint of a very old condom that has been inside a (laughs) boy's wallet for most of his teen years. Um, One of them is about an imaginary friend who wants to be more than just friends. Uh, Things like that. Um, He's super funny. Uh, They're all about love, but in kind of sideways ways, like I have just described. Um, And yeah, there's also illustrations, which is super fun. Um, It's just a really entertaining short story collection. It's like 200 pages long. It's kind of perfect for like reading over brunch and, you know, sitting there like and being like, oh my God, did you get to this part yet? Like I can see it happening. Uh, so yes, yeah, so that is the last girlfriend on earth and other love stories by Simon Rich. Woo-hoo. Okay, mm-hmm. oh, all right. My next one I picked because I listened to it on audio and had so many laughing out loud, tears running down my face moments that I had to I had to like pull my car over several times. Um, so I feel like it would be cool for discussion. Uh, and that's let's pretend this never happened. A mostly true memoir by Jenny Lawson, who's also a blogger. This is a thing I didn't realize I was doing, but she's also a blogger. Um, better known as the blog s and while this is a memoir every chapter reads like a separate essay about something weird and bizarre in her life so you can really read it like a collection of humorous essays and her life is so weird so she grew up in rural texas but not like picked Ooh, my dogs are barking sorry um but not like (laughs) picturesque rural Texas with, like, really good Tex-Mex food or whatever. This is, like, poor. Dirt poor. Like, her house has a literal dirt floor. Her father is a taxidermist, but, like, an amateur taxidermist when the book starts. So, so many of her stories have to do with, like, finding dead stuffed animals in random places in her house. Um, So her childhood was very strange. There's a lot of... There's a story, I think, about her swimming, but there was no swimming pool. It was, like, a a cistern in her neighborhood that the kid, like a rusted out cistern that the kids are swimming in. Anyway, um, so she grows up. She has a really awkward high school experience because, of course, she does. Um, and then she gets married and struggles with having children. Uh, one of the essays is called, or chapters, I guess, but it, to me, they just read like essays. It's called My Vagina is Fine Things for Asking, which is about like what happens to your body after you have children which was hilarious but the way that she speaks she her writing voice is exactly like her speaking voice and she reads her audiobook so if you do pick this and you want to uh, read it or listen to it on audio it's excellent um but her speaking voice is really rambly and funny and hilarious and she goes off on these tangents and down these bizarre like rabbit holes that would never occur to me were I writing about my childhood even the more bizarre strange aspects of my childhood which everyone has but no one's is as weird as hers um so anyway, that's let's pretend this never happened. A mostly true memoir by Jenny Lawson, and it is hilarious. Nice. Uh, okay, my second pick for you guys is "Oh Yeah, What I'm Gonna Tell You" by Cecilia Rodriguez Milanes, which I read last year after seeing her read and just fell so hard in love with. Um, some of them are very funny, some of them are less funny, um, but they're all super smart, and she is such a keen observer. Uh, they, the whole collection, the theme that ties it together is that it's um, 
Cuban Americans who are in what they call El Norte, like they live in the Northeast. So it's not like Florida Cuban life. It's, you know, Northeast Cuban life. So New Jersey, New York, Massachusetts, mm-hmm. etc. Um, which is very different, as you might imagine. So and it start it like goes back and forth in time a little bit. Like there's a story that's sort of World War II era Havana. And then there's like teenagers who are trying to deal with cell phones and pop culture and all of that stuff, um, bringing boys home for Thanksgiving. There's this one short story that's about a girl bringing a boy home for Thanksgiving. And it is so awkward in like a really delicious way um, because we've all been at that Thanksgiving table, even if it didn't look exactly like this one. Like, you know, that feeling of like, oh God, Mm -hmm. this is going to be a disaster. (laughs) Um, And so I just found it fantastic. Um, It's uh, some of them are children of exiles. Some of them are grandkids, children of exiles. Um, It's just really interesting thoughts about how, how you how you do or do not bring your culture with you when you have migrated and when you're second generation or third gener- generation. Uh, so I just loved it. She's an amazing writer. And that is Oye, What I'm Gonna Tell You by Cecilia R- Rodriguez Milanis. All right, question four. This is from Jerry. And Jerry says, I read Sheryl Sandberg's Lean In and Lean In for Graduates. I hoped there would be additional chapters that would provide beneficial information for people living with intersectional systemic issues, such as college and career advice for Latina college students, those who live in poverty and in single mother homes, and are struggling to obtain a job after graduation. While Sandberg does provide good advice, I'm having a hard time identifying with her book because I feel she doesn't provide enough info for an audience from impoverished backgrounds who don't have access to better education and better career services. So she's asking for recommendations for leadership and career advice books that address that. And that is from Jerry. Man, you are asking for the holy grail of leadership and career books. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> we talked about that. I put this up on, the, I can't think of any. I couldn't think of any. So I put it, it up. It was really hard, yeah. I put it up on the Book Riot Slack, the, our uh, internal social network. and was like, eh, any, anyone have? And I did get one. And Jen does have uh, recommendations for you. But Mostly the conversation we just talked about for like half an hour about how this is the thing that doesn't exist and should exist. And maybe theorizing about like why it doesn't. Anyway, it was a really long and interesting conversation, but excellent question. And I will stop talking now. Jen, you can go first. Yeah, yeah, I'll go first. Um, So this is not exactly a one-to-one recommendation, but I the first book I thought of that I had actually just finished reading myself is Getting to Yes, Negotiating an Agreement Without Giving In by Roger Fisher, William Urey, and Bruce Patton. This is like a classic of career advice. Um gets recommended all the time and I would normally sort of poo-poo it except that I read it recently and what I think is interesting about this book is that so much of the negotiating advice out there especially advice that you get on the internet is like just do it just walk in that room and demand what you want but like it doesn't really take into account like are you like what if you don't feel like you're wearing the right clothes what if you don't know the baseline for asking for what it is that you want what if you have never negotiated something before in your life and like you are already handicapped in the negotiation process because you are from a different background or a different ethnicity than your interviewers. Um, and I think that while they don't specifically address this, the techniques that they show in getting to yes are very useful. There is a whole section on what if there is a power imbalance in your negotiation, which is like what we're talking about when we talk about systemic um, issues in careers. So 
It's not a one-to-one. It is written by three old white guys who don't have these problems. But I think their advice is very useful. I know it's going to change how I deal with certain situations in my career moving forward. Um, And so I think it is worth your time. So that is Getting to Yes by Roger Fisher, William Urey, and Bruce Patton. And there's a, like, a most, get whatever the most recent edition is, because they've updated it quite a bit since the original. Okay, so the recommendation I got from the contributors, specifically from Jessica Woodbury, is called uh, Unfinished Business by Anne-Marie Slaughter. I don't know if you remember a couple of years ago in The Atlantic, there was this big article called Why Women Still Can't Have It All, which oh, would, yeah, like, I do made the rounds that. for forever. Yeah, and this, so it's the same author, and this is the book that sort of came out of that um, think piece, I guess. So uh, the subtitle is Women, Men, Work, and Family. And Anne-Marie, it's semi-memoir-ish a little bit. Anne-Marie Slaughter had a kind of dream job. She was the director of policy planning at the State Department um, and was working for Hillary Clinton. Obviously, he was the Secretary of State at the time. And she had two small kids and was living in suburban New Jersey and was working in D.C. Um, And then she, because of, you know, life stuff, decided to leave the State Department and go back to working in academia so that she could give more time to her family, her kids and her, um, well, her kids, basically. And so the reaction to her decision to do that, to leave this really high profile um, law based career that was getting her, you know, a lot of accolades and all of that to go to a a quieter career so she could spend more time with her kids. um, The reactions were not all positive. Obviously, a lot of people were questioning like the feministness of doing that. And that's what led her to write that article about why women um, still can't have it all. So. This the book is about the the motherhood penalty basically like what women suffer in the workplace when we have children and Cheryl Sandberg addresses that in Lean In her advice in Lean In which I did appreciate um, to continue working even if your job only covers the cost of childcare because you're if you don't if you step out of the workplace for however many years to take care of your kids um, you are giving up that career capital which is so much of a thing of of like why men who are the same age as you are farther along, you know, because they do, they didn't give up that career capital. It doesn't really have anything to do with like your salary. Um, So she talks about that, the motherhood penalty, but she does address how there are intersectional issues with women of color and women who grow up in poverty. Um, And she also discusses women in same-sex relationships, which is a big deal because that's not really ever addressed in work-life balance books or career advice books, especially for women. None that I've read, anyway. Um, She also talks about single moms. Um, All of that is really huge. And there's actual advice and, like, actionable steps that you can take um, to kind of not achieve work-life balance, but to figure out what you want out of your career and to take steps to further your career without sacrificing the family life that you also want. So um, actual advice, nice. And she doesn't ignore, like Sheryl Sandberg does, she doesn't ignore uh, single women, poor women, women of color, uh, or any of those like intersectional issues that you're asking about. So that's Unfinished Business by Anne-Marie Slaughter. All right. My second pick for this uh, is not a book that I've read, but I read a lot of reviews. I fell down kind of a rabbit hole on the internet (laughs) trying to find something for this. Um, I was really bummed that I couldn't find something specifically about Latina women. So, like, if you're out there on the internet and you do know of a good one, like, please let us know. But anyway, I again, I haven't read this, so I can't speak exactly to what these women's background are. However, I did find this book called $50, excuse me, $50 Billion Boss, African-American Women Sharing Stories of Success in Entrepreneurship and Leadership, edited by Kathy Porter and Andrea Hoffman. Um, And this is great because 
it, there's studies that show that African-American women are, like, in one of the top rising segments of uh, entrepreneurship, which is really cool. Um, and uh, this is advice from a bunch of different women who have made it. Um, they have started their careers. They're successful. They have learned a lot of different things about running their own businesses and being successful in the career that you've chosen. Um, and they're sharing their advice. The book is organized around sharing the advice for people who want to get to that point, um, who need to solve business challenges and find opportunities and, you know, grow your business or even maybe start a business. So that seems pretty awesome. It's a book I'm putting on my uh, library shelf um, just to see what it's about. So that is $50 Billion Boss, African-American Women Sharing Stories of Success in Entrepreneurship and Leadership by Kathy Porter and Andrea Hoffman. Okay, before we jump into our fifth question, we're going to talk about our second sponsor, which is the Book of the Month Club, which is a thing that's still going and is like new and revamped. And I'm super excited about it, actually. Um, so, of course, if you're an avid reader, nothing that you like better than getting lost in a great new story, maybe, especially if it's one that you haven't necessarily heard of. And Book of the Month focuses on that. So it's a subscription box that keeps your reading life adventurous and new. And every month you get to choose from five different new hardcovers that you might not otherwise have heard of, which is the thing about it that I really like. And of course, they deliver them to your door. Um, they don't use algorithms to pick the five books. They work with readers who are also public figures. So the judges have included David Sedaris and Whoopi Goldberg, um, journalists from Oprah's Magazine and Harper's, and also our own Liberty Hardy um, was a judge for the book of the month. Mm -hmm. the, the, the April guest judge, I love this, is Ellie Kemper, the actress from The Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. No, nice. <laughs> That's so good. I, I love that she turned out to be a reader. That's amazing to me. So the book of the month has been around for over 90 years. I'm sure that you all have heard of it. But now they're doing it this new and cool way. And so if none of the titles in a given month stand out to you, none of the five titles that they've picked that you get to pick from, you can just skip the month and they extend your membership by that long. And the lower the prices uh, are lower than Amazon for these hardcovers. And you can add additional books to your box for only $10, which is super cool. And shipping is free. So uh, if you want like a taste of it, the April, the five April selections are The Nest by Cynthia Dupree Sweeney, which I read and loved, Rich People Problems. Uh, Flight of Dreams by Ariel uh, Lahan. I've never said that out loud. Hmm. Which is about H uh, Hindenburg's ill-fated flight. No One Knows by J.T. Ellison, which is a psychological thriller. A Mother's Reckoning by Sue Klebold, which is um, about the a mother of what it's by the mother, excuse me, of one of the Columbine shooters. Um, and the fifth one is Left of Boom by John Smith and Ralph Pizzullo, which is the true story of a CIA operative. So if you are interested in the Book of the Month Club, you can go to their website, bookofthemonthclub.com, obviously. If you sign up using the promo code BOOKRIOT50, BOOKRIOT50, all one word, you'll get 50% off a three-month membership. So you can try it out. So thank you so much for sponsoring the show, Book of the Month. All right. Question five. All right. Question five. We are just like blazing along. We are. Okay. Doing it. Uh, <laughs> so this is an anonymous question. It says, I've been reading YA for a decade. I enjoy so much of the genre, but I'd like to venture into adult fiction. Do you have any suggestions for someone who likes strong female characters who can kick butt and are smart? I have loved, and then she gives, or this person, excuse me, uh, gives us a list of books, including Cinder, Ed Etiquette and Espionage, 
Girl of Fire and Thorns, Graceling, Hunger Games, Serafina. Basically, this person has read all of the books that I've also read and loved. So, like, <laughs> A-plus taste, Anonymous. I really Great appreciate your taste. Um, especially that you included Becca Cooper on this list because, oh, Becca Cooper, my favorite. Anyway, okay. Um... <laughs> I'm just going to keep talking now. I'm going to go first. <laughs> go for I'm, it. like, overflowing with feelings. So my first pick for you comes out next week, April 12th. It is The Regional Office is Under Attack! Exclamation mark. By Manuel Gonzalez, who is great. I have seen him read. I have read his short story collections. He is just fantastic. And this book is so much fun. Um, it follows the this organization, The Regional Office. Super great superhero name, right? And uh, it recruits young women who they have identified as having special powers. There's an oracle that works for the regional office who can sort of sense their powers as they develop. Um, they get them while they're teenagers, they bring them in, and they train them to be superpowered assassins to save the world from the forces of darkness. Right? Pretty sweet. Um, and there's a young woman, Rose, who has just been recruited, and she is learning to control her powers. It's pretty exciting. She's also pretty confused about the whole thing because she didn't know she had powers and now suddenly she does. And then she gets recruited by a defector to help take down the regional office. So when the book opens, she's like waiting with a team of sort of goons who are about to storm the regional office and she's got a special mission. She's going to crawl through some air ducts, take out the director. It's a whole big thing. And... So the novel gives you a little bit of her background and then also the actual attack itself. And the other character, Sarah, who I have, like, major hearts for, uh, works inside of the organization. Um, it's, like, all she knows, they were, they took her in after her mother disappeared. She basically was raised by the regional office, so she's very dedicated and very loyal. And she's caught up in the middle of this attack. And she may or may not have a robot arm. You know, like you do. Um, so, so it's about these two women who are caught in the crossfire of an organization that's kind of imploding from within. And it is a really fun, delightful read. I read the whole thing in like one binge read on an airplane. It is just great. So that is The Regional Office is Under Attack by Manuel Gonzalez. Okay, so my first pick for you is a book that I'm in the middle of, again, I realize I did, I've done this twice on this show, but that's fine. It's called Roses and Rot. It's by Kat Howard, and this comes out on May 17th from Saga Press. I love this book, too. Oh, you read it? Yay! Yes, I did. I did. I finished it last week. It's great. It is awesome. And it's it's blurred by Neil Gaiman, which I feel like is such a such a I know. get for her. NBD, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and Kat Howard was a Book Riot contributor. She doesn't write for us anymore, but she's so great and talented. And so I just, I don't know, disclaimer, I feel like I should say that. So this uh, book follows two sisters, Imogen and Marin, who grew up with a horrible mother. And Imogen has c- kind of run off in the beginning of the book. She runs off to get away um, from her crazy mom and doesn't really interact with her sister after she leaves. And in present day, the two, the two sisters have been accepted to a post-grad art retreat, like a res arts in residence sort of thing. Um, Imogen is a writer and Marin is a dancer. So they come together, they kind of reunite, and things are not what they seem. Imogen starts having these kinds of weird visions when she's walking around the artist's residence, um, and then they start to kind of spread to the other artists who were living there, and uh, maybe she lives in a fairy tale. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, she does a little bit live in a fairy tale. And so that she has to 
figure out whether or not she's like created this space to get away from her mom and the horrible things that her mother did to her. And eventually she gets kind of pitted against her sister to, um, I mean, this is like super spoilery, but she, this is not spoiler. I'm going to say it so that it's not spoiler. She gets pitted against her sister um, to escape the horrible things from her past. Ha. Um, and it's super atmospheric. She's writing, I mean, Kat Howard is creating this, this like, really lush and creepy and ominous but beautiful world that I love. And at the heart of this book is this question of, like, what would you give up to make great art and to, like, make the thing that you've always dreamed of making, which is such a heavy and interesting question. So that's Roses and Rot by Kat Howard. Two kick-butt female characters for you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I co-sign all of that. Um, <laughs> and also nice rephrasing job there. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so my second pick is The Killing Moon by N.K. Jemisin, which is the first in a duology. Um, you've heard me recommend her, her book The Fifth Season before, but I kind of like to start people off on The Killing Moon, uh, especially when you're looking for, like... Anyway, okay, I'm, t- I'm just going to talk about the book now. <laughs> Like babbling. Um, so yes, so The Killing Moon is book one of the Dreamblood series, and it is about a city in which there are ninja priests who gather magic from people's dreams, because that's awesome. Mm. Um, and so you start off with this gatherer, which is what the ninja priests are called, uh, named Ihiru, who is going through the city at night um, collecting the magic dream blood, uh, to which they then use to help like heal other people, which super interesting magic system. It's fascinating. Uh, and he is supposed to gather slash basically kill this woman uh and he decides not to and this sets off a chain of events that he is not expecting and he finds himself in the middle of this very fraught political situation uh and uh sunandi who is the woman um she's an ambassador and maybe also a spy uh from another city and she is such a great character. I love political women uh, in, in fantasy novels. They're so interesting to me. And she is so well-rounded and so interesting and so complicated. I just loved it. Um, and the way that it sets her and a hero against each other is also super interesting. Um, and the political situation is bananas. <laughs> it's just so crazy to think. Like, it's like almost like, like a Game of Thrones level, like subterfuge plus this really fascinating magical system. Um, and Jemison has talked about how she based the sort of magic and theology of this novel on ancient Egypt, among other things, which I think is very interesting. So that is The Killing Moon by N.K. Jemison, first in a two-book series. Okay, my second pick for you, I'm calling an audible, and I dropped the one that I had originally and I'm replacing it. So if I stumble a little bit over the synopsis, I apologize. I haven't actually read it in a while, and it just, like, occurred to me. So my second pick is Lexicon by Max Berry, and this is a book about the power of language. So the it follows two main characters. The first one is Emily, who is such a smart and strong and weird character um, that if you love, I mean, you love all of these strong female characters from YA, then you will love her so much. She starts, when um, when you meet her, she's a teenager. She's like living, making a living, doing, hustling on the street in San Francisco, like playing three card money and stuff like that. And she gets recruited and taken to this really bizarre school that turns out to not be a normal school. It's a school where they teach you how to hack into people's minds and implant commands using language. Um, So it's about the power of language. And nominally about the power of persuasion, but in reality, they're, like, 
it's like mind control level um, using words. And people who graduate from this school call themselves poets, and they take on the names of famous poets, Bronte, Eliot, stuff like that, uh, Yeats, in order to hide their identity, because if somebody finds out who you really are and like your real identity, they can use your name to hack into your brain and make you do all kinds of crazy stuff. Anyway, so, but when she's at school, she chafes a lot against the, the, like, really, really strict rules that she doesn't understand, and then she falls in love, which is super against the rules. And meanwhile, uh, a guy named Will is ambushed by two men he's never met in an airport bathroom who claim that he's, like, the center of this war between poets, and of course he doesn't have any recollection of what uh, they say that he's done. He doesn't remember any of it. He doesn't have any idea what they're talking about. And so the story of Will, whose memory is gone and doesn't have a clue what's going on, and the story of Emily, who gets kicked out of the school for poets, despite the fact that she's the most powerful one that they've ever seen, converge. And they converge in this town in Australia called Broken Hill, where everyone has died and no one knows why. And so you you want to, you know, you're trying to find out why everyone in this town is gone, um, while simultaneously figuring out what happened to Will and what Emily is doing and all of this. It's very fast-paced and like, blah! Uh, there's like a Tower of Babel event that maybe will leave every word that you've ever spoken meaningless. It's strange and so awesome. It's such a ride, and I love it so much. So it's, sci- it's like a sci-fi thriller, but all about words and literature and all the... Um, the code names that the characters use, I love a lot. So that's Lexicon by Max Berry. Team Emily. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I nice. made the hashtag motion. No one can see me. I, I, I believe you. <laughs> I hashtagged Team Emily. Okay. I heard it. I heard it. <laughs> Thank you. So question six. This is our this is from Verity. I've been listening to Get Booked from the start, and boy, have you cost me a lot of money. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm on a book buying Sorry, band. not sorry. Yeah, not sorry. <laughs> I'm on a book buying ban at the moment because my TBR has reached epic proportions, but I'm asking for a friend. No, really, an actual friend. I'm the bookworm of my gang, and I'm struggling to help her. She's off on holiday in a few weeks in mid-April and has a 16-hour flight each way and needs some book recs. She's recently gotten into what I'm calling dystopian new adult, which is not really my field. She loves Throne of Glass by Sarah J. Moss and The Red Queen by Victoria Aveyard and has read as far as those series go at the moment. She's also read The Usual Suspects like Divergent, The Hunger Games, and I'm not sure what to suggest. I have suggested V.S. Schwab's Darker Shade of Magic, which I loved when I read it, but I'm not sure if I'm on the right track. So that's Verity. Um, so I picked this question because it's kind of the opposite of the previous question, which I thought was a fun juxtaposition. Um, I'll let Jen go first because I've done a lot of talking. Sure. Uh, my first pick for your friend is a book that I am obsessed with, <laughs> um, and I don't feel like that many people have read it. Have read it? Excuse me. Read it? What? Oh, uh, so, so it's called Archivist Wasp by Nicole Corner Stace. It's a book from Small Beer Press, who I adore, uh, and the main character Wasp is the archivist, which is, like, capital A, archivist, uh, which is a position in this weird, it's pretty clearly, like, a future dystopia world. Um, Very gritty and deserty and grim. And uh, she, her job is to literally archive ghosts. Like, she goes out into the field and collects ghosts using this ritual and then sort of destroys them slash sends them along to the afterlife slash it's kind of unclear what happens to the ghosts after she collects them. Uh, She also every year has to fight another like other possible initiates to the death to retain her position. So, you know, like you do. Um, And she hates her life, obviously, for obvious reasons. 
Um, and she then encounters the ghost of a super soldier from the past and makes a deal with him. He is trying to find the shade of his partner, and he needs her help. So she's going to go with him to help find his lost partner's ghost, and he, in exchange, somehow can, like, manifest a thing that will help her get free of her terrible life situation. So she runs away with a ghost, you know, <laughs> like you do. And uh, the, the adventure kind of goes from there. I thought this was so smart and original. I have not read anything quite like it. And Wasp is such a great character. She is so prickly and frustrated and and also, like, sort of, she's street smart. She's not, like, super bookish, but she is very good at surviving, obviously. I mean, she has to kill other girls every year just to stay alive, um, which is a terrible situation. She doesn't like it, but she'll do it. Like, she'll do whatever it takes to survive. And she's in this place where she's really questioning what survival means to her. And uh, the way it unfolds is fantastic. I love this book. It also doesn't do that love thing that so many <laughs> that dystopian <love> new <laughs> adult books do. Um, I found it very refreshing not to have like a, you know, boyfriend spectral or otherwise plotline. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that. Uh, so that is Archivist Wasp by Nicole Corner Stace. I'm sorry, I'm, t- I'm writing the show title down. Yeah, boyfriends yeah, yeah. That, that is the or best otherwise. one we've done so far. <laughs> okay, my, both of my picks do have boyfriends, spectral or otherwise. Because <laughs> it's not a thing that I mind, but... Um. I mean, it's fun sometimes, but it's nice to get a break. No, you're right, you're right. It, uh, eventually, you're like, really... Yeah. Can, can you can you really date four people while you're trying to do right. Like, how do you... Whatever. How does uh, that work? <laughs> anyway, so my first pick is the Shatter Me series by Tahira Mafi. Which I'm obsessed with. Uh, was it you who's read this and didn't like it as much? There was somebody. Or maybe I, it was yeah, it wasn't my favorite. I mean, it was fun, but it wasn't yeah. my favorite. Yeah, I love it. I don't know what it is about it that like I became so obsessed with it. But I, it's like her writing style. Her writing style is so strange and frenetic. Uh, anyway, I'll get to that. So the main character is her name is Juliet. She in the when the book opens, she's been locked up in a mental institution slash prison. Because when she touches people, they die. And so she spent most of her life, you know, obviously touching no one because she doesn't want anyone to get hurt. But then she accidentally um, touches someone and they, the government locks her up for murder. And this is a dystopian uh, government. Um, and it's evil and big and bad, you know, as they are in these like young adult worlds. <laughs> um, so the world is crumbling to pieces and they've kind of forgotten about her. She's been locked up for almost a year with no, like, chance of getting out, no hope of ever getting out. Um, food is scarce. Disease is running rampant across the, the world. There are no birds anymore, kind of, like, stuff like that. So you don't really get an idea at the beginning of what kind of dystopian, apocalyptic sort of situation you're in. But you figure it out as the series continues. <clears throat> Excuse me. And then one day, uh, another inmate is put in her room to be her roommate. It's a it's a boy, and it turns out that she remembers him from elementary school. And, um, of course, she's like, I'm not going to talk to you. You're going to hurt me. I obviously can't touch you because I'll hurt you. And she just has this kind of breakdown about having a roommate. Um, and then she... There's spoilers, so I'm not going to keep going. Anyway, the government wants to use her as a weapon, basically, to con- keep control over this uh, community or the country as... The world is falling apart. They're going to use her to keep their power intact. And, of course, she doesn't want that. So she does what she can to prevent that from happening. And it's a trilogy. And there are also, um, like, 
other like books outside of the main trilogy told from other characters' point of view, but I haven't read those, so I can't speak to them. But uh, yeah, so that's Shatter Me by Tara Mafia. Oh, the thing I wanted to say about the writing style is that she, this character obviously has a lot of PTSD. She's been locked up by herself in solitary confinement for almost a year and is horribly mistreated. Um, and so the, the way that Tara writes her internal monologue is really frantic. Like there's a lot of crossing out. There's a lot of run on sentences. There's a lot of uh, metaphors that don't make any sense on the surface, uh, stuff like that. So you're, you're in the mind of somebody who um, is not well, basically. And I really appreciated that and thought that she did a really good job with it. So yeah, that's all I'll say about it. Shatter Me by Tara Mafi. I was thinking more about it while you were talking, and I think what happened was that I read this book when I was in a, like, do-not-want-love story stage. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, and it, like, definitely has a bunch of that in it, so. Yeah, there's a fine. triangle. There's nothing wrong with it. It's just, you know, you go through phases sometimes, and you're like, uh, oh, this is not what I want. It's actually so. a really controversial um, yeah, it trilogy, is. because there's a love triangle, um, and it has, I mean, I'm not going to tell you, obviously, because it's a spoiler, but... Um, one of some of the elements of the of the love triangle ha- bring up like consent issues um, and stuff like that. And I personally, like when I was reading it, I noticed and I was like, oh, people are gonna like this. But I didn't, I didn't mind it. But um, I could see why people would. Anyway, it at least will give you food for thought, even if you don't yeah. appreciate where the triangle goes. So. Right. Like there's ways to explore that, which I think is what she's doing, and it's interesting. I just that like was not what I was up to. <laughs> do so, not want. <laughs> do not want, uh, or did not want at that moment in time. Uh, sometimes we come across a book at the wrong time. It's cool. Okay, so my second pick for your friend, she might have already read it and made a big splash, but just in case, uh, is An Ember in the Ashes, which is the first in a series by Saba Tahir, which is, I... Co-sign! Oh my god, this book was like, it was like eating ice cream or something like I just wanted to keep going forever it was it's it was really well done so it's about a girl named Laya who is from a family that is sort of being oppressed by the terrible regime etc etc um And she is, you know, growing up and um, has a brother who is getting involved in the resistance. And she's really nervous for him and for her family because they've already lost people to this political struggle, um, including her mother. And, and, you know, uh, but she can't stop him. And so bad things happen and they're separated and he's taken off to jail. And so she joins the resistance, even though she has a lot of qualms about it and like a lot of frustration with them for the loss of her mother um but she she she's figures that that's the only way she's ever going to help him get out of jail so her family is her main priority she's not actually that political she's just in it for her family um and in the other character elias is a soldier uh training to be like one of the elite soldiers of this regime his mother is very highly placed there's a lot of mom issues actually now that i'm talking about it like so many mom issues um and he is and this is not a spoiler His, like, whole goal is to escape. He is not into it. Um, He doesn't feel great about what's going on, but really he just does not want to live this life. And the two of them cross paths as they are both developing their own sort of strategies. One of them trying to get in, the other one trying to get out. And uh, that is where the story goes from there. Um, So it's kind of, yeah, it's got a very Roman feel to it, which I thought was interesting. A very, like, gladiatorial, if that's a word um and 
It is, uh, it was just a really good read. The pacing is very good. Um, the characters are super interesting. There's a lot of great supporting characters that I was like, oh, I need to know more. <laughs> um, so I'm really excited to read the second book, which, which is not out yet, right? Or no, am I? No, no. no, I would no, be okay. all up in that. I mean, yeah, we're so ready for <laughs> two. Stop up. Like, (laughs) give it to us, please. Um, And uh, and I think it's at least going to be a trilogy, if not more. Um, But we are very excited about it. So that is An Ember in the Ashes by Sabah Tahir. Okay, my second pick for you is Daughter of Smoke and Bone by Lainey Taylor. I love this book so much, Which I have been meaning to read for years, P.S. People keep recommending it to me, and I I have not gotten to it yet. It's super dark and twisty, and I think you would really like it. Um, it doesn't have any of this, like, I feel I feel like a lot of YA, um, like, this dystopian girl saves the day, saves the world kind of books can have this level of, like, really innocent naivete, which is cool and is not, like, a morally wrong choice to make when you're writing a book like this. But this book does not have that. Daughter of Smoke and Bone, there's, there's some cynicism, there's some realism, like, this um, character is very worldly, she doesn't have that, like stars in her eyes what is happening kind of thing there's none of that this is like a girl at war so anyway um the main character's name is karu she has blue hair and it grows out of her head that way and she lives in prague and is an art student um and was raised by demons so when she goes home (laughs) yeah nice (laughs) so when she goes home from her class she goes home to um her the father figure who raised her is half bull half something I don't remember. Um, and her best friends are, chim- they're called Chimera. They're these really ominous and scary looking demonic figures that are parts of animals all mashed together. Um, and I don't remember his name, but her fa- the father figure, the bull thing, um, sends her on errands to collect human teeth. And she doesn't ever really know why um, or what they're being used for. But she realizes that some teeth are more valuable than others um, and that there is some sort of magical, powerful, big thing happening. And you eventually find out what the teeth are for. This is a thing that she does. Um, And then around the world on these doorways that take you, or her mostly, but, you know, what any of the Chimera or friends of the Chimera into their world, the doorways that exist throughout the world are starting to um, show up with these black scorched handprints on them, which turn out to be uh, markings of angels, which are the sworn enemy of these demonic Chimera um, people, figures, whatever. Um, and so they're finding out where they live and they're coming to get them, basically. Um, so it's an interesting and really strange take on the angels versus demons thing. In this book, when you open, when the book opens, the demons are the good guys and the angels are this very, like, oppressive um, sort of almost governing body. Um, they're really arrogant and violent and brutal and awful. And now they're coming for her family. And uh, so she meets on accident in an alley in Marrakesh. She meets an angel that she defends herself from. But then something happens where she has to actually talk to him. And they turn out to be kind of star-crossed loves, but in a in a way that you are not expecting and for reasons that you cannot imagine. It's so imaginative and odd. Um, and it's not the, the angel and the demon thing here. She's using this like Judeo-Christian construct of the angels versus demons, but it's not like that at all. Like there is, she took the the film of it and then filled it in with her own imaginings. So it's not like a Judeo-Christian story at all. Um, aside from the fact that there are winged creatures and there are creatures who look scary, 
and they fight each other. Um, so it is a trilogy. I haven't read the other books yet. I was waiting for it to finish, and then it finished like a year ago, and I just haven't gotten around to it. So, But the first one is amazing. So that's Daughter of Smoke and Bone uh, by Lainey Taylor. I dyed my hair blue after I read this book. <laughs> like, full blue. It was awesome. Anyway. That is awesome. Um... Can I ask you, I don't know if this is a spoiler or not, like, does she actually have to remove the teeth from people's heads? Because that is a thing I cannot watch or read about, is no, teeth she removal. she collects okay. them from oh, okay. other people who have removed them. Is she, like, the demonic tooth fairy? Is that kind She's of like their errand girl. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Interesting. All right. Um, I have, like, a tooth thing, so. Oh, oh yeah. I had to double check that one. Yeah, she's not the one pulling them out, but. All right. Excellent. <laughs> okay, so that's our show. <laughs> Sorry about the tooth side. Let's end on demonic tooth fairy. Um, so please do rate us on iTunes and leave a review if you like the show, or if you don't, whatever. We accept all honest reviews, all comers. It helps people find the show when they search for it on iTunes. You can find us on social media at I'm at I'm Amanda Nelson and Jen is at Jen I R L Jen with two ends. And thank you to our sponsors, Book of the Month Club and Rich and Pretty. And we will talk to y'all next week. Oh, and keep sending me pictures of your cross-stitch projects and oh. your knitting. I like We talked about crafting forever ago, but people are still occasionally tweeting me pictures, and it is the best. Yes, please. I love seeing that stuff. All right. All right, bye. <laughs> <laughs>